0: Welcome to episode 18 of No Challenges Remaining. I think it's 18. 18?
1: Uh, That sounds about right.
0: Roughly 18 of No Challenges Remaining. We are now legal, which is very exciting. My name is Ben Rothenberg, and joining me... From Northern California is Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney.
1: Hello, Ben. How are you in D.C.?
0: I'm wonderful. Thank you for asking. Um,
1: They're in the playoffs,
0: Ben. I know. I really want the Orioles to get out of this horrible wildcard showdown yeah. thing they have now, which might be my Orioles and your A's is looking like.
1: Looking like it.
0: But uh, I want no part of that game whatsoever. That sounds horrifying. It's like single. I don't understand how you have a... 162 game season and then a one game playoff. Yep. What sense does that make?
1: Makes none.
0: None. That's correct. So without
1: extra wild card, one of our teams would not be in.
0: That's true. We can look at it that way.
1: One of these teams would only have 160 games as opposed to 160 or 162 games as opposed to 163 games.
0: And there is a big difference in morale for making the playoffs and not making it. So. Oh, sure. So we'll see. Um, although if the Orioles like coming fourth. And it looks like they're going to finish ahead of the A's, I think, at this point. Um, okay. So they'll host the wild card playoff. But, um, yeah, then they would have gotten in under the old rules, and then I'll be bitter if they lose. So.
1: Fair. Although the A's do have a shot at the division championship. So yeah. that's, you know, we just kind of have to win our next two games.
0: As do the O's. As do the O's. Yes. Didn't do so well yesterday. But anyway, enough baseball. How about tennis? Isn't this, like, the most exciting time of the year, Courtney? <laughs>
1: Uh, sure. The Asian, the Asian swing is like as much as you put into it, right? Like it's, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. If you want it to be a complete and utter afterthought, it can be. And if you want it to be like the greatest thing since sliced bread, you can make it that as well.
0: How do you do that? How do you make this the greatest thing?
1: Well, I mean, it's still, you know, like, for example, like, the WTA. If you're a WTA fan, you've got Beijing, and you had Tokyo last week in both of them, especially considering Serena withdrew from Beijing. It's the exact same field, which was, like, nine of the top ten women. Like, all of the top players are playing.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: they're involved, and it's really, it's almost like Hunger Games right now.
0: Okay. I like where this is going. I have no idea where you're going with this, but explain. It's
1: Hunger Games where it's like it's survival it's not even about playing pretty tennis and it's not about making any grandiose statements it's about surviving and 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 kind of really doing what you can regardless of your ranking to 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 consolidate points and to consolidate a ranking and build up you know use this time when everybody else is freaking limping and starving and wounded as roger federer would say Mm mm-hmm And collect a massive amount of points that will really kind of buoy you into the next year. Like, these are points that will sit on your ranking for a good three quarters of the 2013 season. Yeah, that's true. And that can make a huge difference when it comes to seedings, when it comes to, you know, main draw entries. Like, for
0: example, it was really only Donald Young's Bangkok points and his U.S. Open points that kept him around at all in 2012.
1: Exactly right.
0: So it's sort of interesting, though, I guess we segue from the baseball, because it sort of does feel like the dog days like the regular season mm-hmm. in some ways, this Asia swing, where it's like, does not the glamour stretch, you know? You're not really fighting for big glory the way you get to a lot of other points in the season, or even to set up momentum for this big moment now. Because, I mean, really, I don't think Beijing momentum can really, or whatever other tournament, Shanghai, even the year-end championships to a lesser extent, does really extend into Australia always, um, but this is about you know building yourself a base where you can do well.
1: Exactly right. I mean, it's it's kind of it, admittedly it's a weird season. I I generally like the Asian swing. Uh, I hate the time difference, obviously. That's yeah, rough, uh, brutal. Um, but uh, um, other than that, I mean, I do like it simply because you know there's no match that you can consider a gimme. Like, no, anybody
0: the, can beat anybody at this point.
1: Anybody, and when you're talking about the WETA, where that's kind of already the case, you know, starting in January, like, mm-hmm. you know, it makes it kind of humorous and entertaining in its own right. Uh, but even on the ATP, there's been, like, already some weird scorelines, um, you know, in, in Tokyo and um, last week in Kuala Lumpur and Bangkok. So, you know, it, it's happening across the board. But, you know, I think that, the amount of importance you put into the Asian swing really stems from the players and how important they think it is. I think that for the women, weirdly, um, it's less important this year. I get the sense that it's more important for the guys simply because how
0: how much of that has to do with it for the guys. You have Djokovic and Federer going to be there this year and Murray um, compared to the women where you don't have Serena.
1: I think that's a huge part of it. You know, I I think that, you know, it was hard not to... For those of you who haven't seen the news, Roger Federer is confirmed for Shanghai next week, um, which basically is a, is a pretty strong signal that he's gunning for the year-end number one ranking. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that does, you know, admittedly make things exciting. You know, if you want to be cynical about it, you can say, well, you know, Shanghai is sponsored by Rolex, and Rolex is one of Fed's major sponsors, but uh, Fed's had no problem skipping this tournament. In no, the past.
2: he hasn't.
1: So, I re- And I don't think that that sort of... Drives that sort of decision making drives him. Um, But yeah, you know, so Fed commits to go play Shanghai after saying he's wounded and tired and exhausted after Davis Cup and admitted and understandably so. He's played, I think, more matches at this point in the year than he has in any year of his career. Really? Okay. At least through the last five years.
0: But Hmm.
1: almost because the the most before this was 2008, which was another Olympic year. So um, that makes sense. Yeah, so, so he's he's played a lot at thirty. What is he? Thirty-one.
0: He is thirty-one. Yes.
1: Thirty-one. He's he's gunning for the year at number one, and then on the meet and this flip side, you have Serena, who really could have, with a strong push in Asia, made it much easier for herself to to end up number one uh, after Istanbul. And at this point, I kind of am almost doubtful that that's going to happen.
0: Uh, the because- Istanbul is going to happen for her. You mean?
1: Well, I don't even know if Istanbul is going to happen, but I don't. I, I'm. I, if I had to bet, I would say that she's not going to finish year number one.
0: No, I don't think so.
1: Um, but she could have if she had. if she, if she had followed everybody else's schedule and played Tokyo and Beijing and Istanbul, or even just Beijing and Istanbul. But yeah, so she has the
0: flu, so she does have the flu. That flu. What, crazy. what did? What did? Speaking of Serena, Serena recently had some photos and some tweets which we haven't talked about It's true. come out of her um, very, very quickly after the. US open, but between when she was at the uh, US Open and then back on HSN like four days later, she made a stop in southern France and uh, Courtney, you wrote about it, what, what, what was Serena up to in the Riviera area?
1: She had her hands down in the guy's pants <laughs>
0: Now, okay. I don't know if down, down the pants might sound like the wrong thing.
1: Uh, Serena was papped uh, by French paparazzi in like a city that's like nine hours from Paris or whatever driving. It's like not near Paris. So, which I'll get back to in a little bit. But uh, she was papped walking the streets with Patrick Moratoglu, who is her advisor. Um, and has been since the French Open, he runs the Raza Academy uh, outside of Paris, which is the home of Grigor Dimitrov, uh, Jeremy Chardy. It, it used to Laura Robson used to train there. Um,
0: Martina Hingis is one of the coaches there now.,
1: uh, Ervin Rizzi, um a few different Seva uh, so yeah, so she was spotted, you know, looking at real estate listings with him. And at first the pictures were like, no big deal. I mean, they could be, they, if you wanted to read in any sort of romantic, uh, love birdie type, uh, read, you could. Um, but they were just really kind of standing close to each other or like whatever. Um, but there was one picture though, of Serena standing there with her hand down his back jeans, butt pocket. Which mm-hmm. I don't know. I I have a hard time with anybody trying to explain to me that that is like a no big deal move.
0: <laughs> that that that's not something. That's not that's not a friend move. Let's put it that way. No. Uh... If your friends, if you're friends with somebody and they and they that person is putting his or her hand down against your your butt, you should you know reexamine what's going on in this friendship. Exactly. Maybe <laughs> take a step back, see what it looks like.
1: Not saying that it's a negative thing. It's it, it no. may be time to reassess things and you have a little meet cute kind of Hollywood rom com sort of thing going on. But mm-hmm. it is time to reassess. But yes, yeah, so she was path to doing that. And then um I wrote about it. I think the big thing that I think I wrote about that not many outlets picked up on is the fact that Matsuglu is married. Yeah. He's actually married with at least one kid. I'm almost positive he has two. Um, and he his wife he, he i think they've been married for a really long time um although rumors are that they are not well that they are they may or may not be separated um at the moment but uh, but there were is, photos
0: there was a photo i saw of him at the us open this year with his no no ring
1: right but at the same time she was at i think Wimbledon with him so this isn't like a you know she was with him when he started coaching serena yeah okay so let's let's Uh, Clear that up. But yeah, so, and then you want to talk about the tweet that uh, she sent out?
0: Um, I don't know exactly what it said, but it was like she said something on a later trip to Europe after she came back to do HSN. Um, She went, then went to Milan with some friends and her age and Jill Smaller and some people. And uh, she tweeted something like, I wish the paparazzi would stop following me around trying to, you know, make photos of things that aren't true or something and then she like hashtag over it or something exactly right
1: yes so yeah so she tweeted that kind of to attempt to imply that somehow the paparazzi had made up this whole romance rumor Right. but I'm not really buying it I don't think anybody is but yeah I mean because my biggest question as well is how did French paparazzi know to be in a random town in southern France like, snap these pictures in the first place?
0: That's a fair question.
1: I, uh, you know, call me a cynic, but, uh, and I'm not saying that Serena was part of this, because I think that she genuinely, I think that once these pictures hit the the wires, um, all hell did break loose a little bit inside her camp. But one member of that pairing has never been shy about uh, enjoying publicity, whether...
0: The one mayor, the one... Member of the pairing who's not Serena, you're saying?
1: Exactly, the one member that's not Serena Williams. Okay. So it would not shock me if somehow news came out about it that way. Interesting. Is my totally baseless, you know, skeptical
0: speculation? Which you know, is is it is it, it, a sort of a it's a bold statement, but it's you know, not I think you, no one can reject that outright completely. Because, I mean, people do, generally celebrities or people who want to be famous, do hire paparazzi to follow them around. Right. Or at least tip them off or have somebody else in their PR team tip them off. So it's possible. And if there is attention to gain from it, maybe a lot more people, you know, know who someone is now than they did before. Correct. That comes from it. But I don't know if it's entirely positive publicity in terms of, you know, business, but... We'll see.
1: Yeah. I agree. I agree.
0: (laughs) So, Serena, um, we'll see. We actually are going to be in Istanbul, both of us, which is exciting. And we will see if she's there and if he's there. And maybe neither of them will be there. We'll see. Hopefully Serena's there. It would definitely be nice to have her there.
1: It would be really... It would really be such a knock. I mean, just... A bad, it would be bad news if she decided she, she didn't want to play Istanbul. Definitely. If her flu lingered yes. for another month. Um, but I, I still, I mean, I, I think I've said it before on Twitter, and, and I still think this, I, I just, if number one is not attainable, which it's possible, because Vika is still like on the, she's obviously playing quite well in, in Beijing, which she could lengthen her lead on Serena there, and with just 1,500 points up for grabs at the year-end championships, which you'd have to go undefeated, excuse me, to win. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think if if Vika makes the semis in Beijing, then number one is, her, is she's wrapped it up vis-a-vis Serena. Oh, right. Okay. Still in play between her and Maria and maybe Aga.
0: Do you think that Serena cares at all about number two, though? I mean, getting number two... Assuming that maybe she thinks that Vika is the biggest threat to her at this point of the other top th- four people, um, she gets number two. She's on the opposite side for Australia. Does she want that? Does she care at all?
1: I don't know if Serena cares anymore. I mean, I think if you, I mean, obviously, if we ask, if I, if you pose that question like five years ago, I would say no, she doesn't care at all. But I also do think that over the last year and a half, Serena's kind of shown her penchant to actually be a more traditional tennis player in how she goes about her business. And one of the more traditional tennis player sorts of things is to actually do care about rankings and seedings and what effect that has in in your ability to win a tournament, That that she, she maybe isn't in a situation where she can just run Ramshot over a draw and would prefer for an easier path if she can do it. Yeah. Mm. So, so I don't know. I mean, I, it's a good point. I mean, number two is definitely within within, uh, within her reach, within her grasp. Um,
0: and draw-wise, there's no difference between one and two.
1: Right. As Roger Federer would tell us all the time.
0: Yes. So the other person who pulled out of Beijing is Serena's sister, Venus, which pretty much means that Venus will not be seated at the Australian Open. So maybe that's Serena's biggest draw concern is that could have a Williams-Williams round one. Always looms as a possibility, even however unlikely. That is if, their names were, if their names were Isner and Mahuth, they'd certainly draw each other. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much all that's going on. Um, men in Shanghai should be interesting next week. Could still be like the biggest Shanghai tournament ever. Cause Shanghai, I realize, has never been... It's always been like the biggest afterthought of all the Masters events, I think, just because they've never really gotten a, uh, a quorum of the top four there. So, we'll see. Like, Hopefully that'll be good. The
1: crowd. Also have been a bit spotty at times, They're, especially the early yes. rounds, which is a huge problem because obviously we have the Paris indoors, but but the crowd at the Paris indoors is so much better, so yeah. it just feels bigger. Even though I do have to remind myself that it's a Masters tournament half the time because it just looks like a 500, like on yeah. TV. I think because the net doesn't it have like a baseline net?
0: Oh, um, like, you know, like I, almost, I don't, I'm not sure.
1: Anyways, yeah.
0: I don't know. It's it's in that stadium that used to host the year end thing, right? I don't back know. When, back when the WTFs before they were called WTFs used to be in Shanghai. I think so. Maybe that's like the second turn stadium now. I don't really know. It's been a while since I saw Shanghai, so we'll see. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, so. yeah. That this that's the stadium, the Ki Yong uh, I think Kijong? One of the two. Um uh was the stadium for the year end champs. That's correct.
0: Okay. That makes sense. So yeah, so we will maybe talk about that next time, although we might save our next show for actually a to do more preview of that. In the meantime, though, we got some questions. You ready to move to questions?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Um, we got questions on Twitter, not on Facebook. We're, we're on Facebook now. If we didn't tell you last time, I think we did. So if you're on Facebook like us and we'll like you for liking us. That makes sense. Not really. Really? Okay. First question on Twitter um, my question, this is from Tennis Simru, which I think means like Welsh Tennis. My question is, what did Federer do with the cow he was given after he won his first Wimbledon? Hashtag moo. Do you have any idea, Courtney?
1: Um, were they not there at the Netherlands tie? Those cows looked weird. Frightening. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe he's, like, cured them to be, like, this weird mythical source of protein that has fueled him ever since.
0: The secret to his hair is this magic cow. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. I know that—I think—I guess it was after Wimbledon, I'm sure the person who asked this question knows what they're getting at. Um, but I thought there was also something where the champions in Basel used to be given a cow when they won— and it wound up being, like, an issue for people because they, like, suddenly have this cow. <laughs> they don't know what to do with this cow. Cat, <laughs> cow instead of cow? I mean, can you imagine that, like, I don't know, let's say, like, Fernando Verdasco shows up to a tournament, and, like, seven days later, he is responsible for a cow. I
1: cannot believe that because that would mean that he won the tournament, but continue.
0: Yeah, well, that's a little bit of a stretch now. But, yeah, so these people, like, had to find a place to, like, I don't know, house their cow.
1: Roger has like basically like a ranch in his backyard where he just takes care of everyone's cows.
0: That would be nice. Have have Mirka out there, you know, getting milk every morning and stuff and yeah, it's, it could be a nice little, uh, little house on the the on the I don't know, Switzerland thing, but um, I think in terms of livestock though, Roger's probably more of a goat person because he has, you know,
2: Zing.
1: I
0: know. <laughs> yeah, but I think Roger's cow was called Juliet, if I remember correctly. And that's all I have on that.
1: Better trivia, so I'm letting you carry carry the day on this question.
0: I think that his name is Juliet. I don't really know what happened to it. There were jokes about it. Like if anyone ever had like a picture of like Federer like eating a steak, they'd be like, oh, there's Juliet. R.I.P. Yeah. So that's all I know. I really don't know what happened to when he got the cow. But on a general, more you know whatever thing. Do you think there should be more interesting prizes when people win tournaments? I think so.
1: I mean, this kind of dovetails with a little bit with um, a conversation you and I had offline, I think, last week about the Party Rock Open.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to go there, too.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the Party Rock Open, which was a 50K in Las Vegas, took place last week and was most notable because uh, Red Foo, um, who is a member of the now defunct uh, band lMFAo
0: RIP LMFAO
1: like uh, I can't even I, I can't even uh, I can't believe I'm saying their names but anyways he like kind of like helped sponsor it and they branded it basically like an LMFAO concert
0: like uh, thing they named that, it, first of all they named the term at the party rock open they named it after a song yes they did not a company a song
1: a song that plays in a commercial that has hamsters dancing to
0: it Mm -hmm. yeah a song that came out like two years ago
1: yeah so but they branded it i mean every night apparently there was like a dj there it seemed like actually really fun and i don't know if that many people went but the promo work was quite good
0: i was we, we generally we were both very impressed with the party rock open because it was a 50 it's a 50k challenger which by the way there's at least like three of those every week around, or no, that's probably a little too much, but like there's at least one of those a week and nobody ever talks about them. But the Party Rock Open suddenly made itself a thing. Even if it's just food being ridiculous that did it.
1: People were talking about it and that's what they needed to at least the first year that it's branded that. I mean, hopefully my hope is that he continues with it because, yeah. you know, I think that they probably got some really good marketing out of it like marketing numbers that they'll be able to show future sponsors, yeah, to get more money into it and more, you know. And so Ben and I were talking last week about how cool it would be if there were more tournaments that did stupid crap like that, like make the make your tournaments gimmicky.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have a little, you know, more. I don't know if you want to. Andy Roddick used to always talk about how he wanted tournaments to be a little uh, tennis be more like pro wrestling or something. Yeah, because wrestling depressingly beats tennis in the ratings a lot of times. Uh, which I don't want to think about too much, but yeah, you can have just like more gimmicky stuff. Like I think the thing I was talking about was like some sort of anti-Wimbledon that was held in like Transylvania or something, where everyone had to wear all black <laughs> instead of all white, and the uh and like the line judges were like wearing like Dracula capes or something. And they were like, oh, I don't know how to do Dracula voice like line calls, but you know, something something weird. It would just be a little like theme parky this this thing. There's no reason not to. It's essentially I mean, the uh, Challenger Circuit, is like it's like minor leagues. And, like, minor league baseball teams do all sorts of weird stuff to get people in the door. Yep. No reason tennis can't be the same.
1: The game is the same. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, all you need to do is to provide the prize money, provide the ranking points, and make sure that the game that's played at the Transylvania Open is no different than the game that's played at the Party Rock Open is no different than the game that's played in mm-hmm. Barnstable. Like. Yeah. It, you know, so long as, like, all that is, is normalized, all the other stuff, go nuts, you know? Like, yeah. give away thunder sticks, give people bull horns, like, whatever. You know, yeah. like, blast music. I mean, none of that is necessarily against the rules as far as I know. I'm making that up. Maybe it is. I don't know. But, um...
0: Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think there are rules that, like, maybe there are, but the tournament, like, has to maintain quiet during play. So, I'm not 100% yeah. sure that's a rule.
1: Um, but, you know, have the Amish open.
0: Okay, what would the Amish Open be like?
1: Uh well, no electricity, so no night matches.
0: No night matches, yes.
1: Um
0: players get brought to the the court on like a horse cart.
1: Exactly. exactly. Uh,
0: maybe they have to <laughs> they make their own clothing <laughs> matches, that'd be a little tough. Um, um you know I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean I feel like these players players who are ranked like hundred and twenty or hundred even through like the end of the rankings. They are game for this stuff. Like, people who were at the Party Rock Open were psyched for the Party Rock Open.
1: They were. They got, like, free, like, Monster Beats headphones. I mean...
0: Yeah. You know, Which it's, is a bigger budget. I mean, Party Rock Open clearly had a bigger budget than most 50Ks. It did. But,
1: but you can have a bigger budget when you are a better, a more marketable tournament. Yeah. You have more money flowing in because, I mean, if you take the number, I would love to see the Party Rock Opens, like, social media impressions. Like, their their stats.
0: Well, they have, like, a few hundred, like, Twitter followers. Right. Which is a lot for a challenger.
1: Even just being discussed, like, mentioned. like People, I, are,
0: people are tweeting things like, I'm going to go fire up the stream for the Party Rock Open. It's like, no one would ever say that about any normal 50K.
1: Gotta be the number one, like, in terms of, like, marketability of a tournament. Like, of a 50K at least. Close to 100K. I mean, Vancouver's probably pretty good on the 100K level.
0: Yeah. Uh, Vancouver's good. Um there there's one on marketability level, I'm not sure. In terms of prominence, there's a few that are like right at the end of the season that do pretty well. There's one in like Taipei that's a big one for the men. Oh, there's one that's like in sun that used to be in sunrise. yeah. Um, which actually moved to Dallas and now it's between Indian Wells and Miami and the Dallas one's a pretty big deal. That's a men's one. But yeah, I mean, there are other tournaments. But this one was like this was breaking new ground. And credit to, to Mr. Fu for his leadership. I mean, he has this clothing line coming out for tennis, which is actually part of his motivation for doing this, I think. Um, but he, uh, he has this clothing line. So and all like the ball kids, I saw one picture of like all the ball kids are wearing like not matching outfits or like just various pieces of his line, which is sort of interesting. Um, and yeah, and he's been very, he was very involved in the U S open. He was constantly around like just hanging out in the, in the media dining room, like on his cell phone, talking loudly at, who God knows who. And, you know, having his assistant there. So, I mean, he's sort of a weird presence, but if he wants to be sort of a Las Vegas answer to um, Larry Ellison on a smaller scale, you know, God bless him. Why not?
1: And, and, and you know, he's not my cup of tea, nor is his band's music my cup of tea, but, like, I really do, I tip my caps just how involved he was. Like, he didn't just throw money at it. And, yeah. You know, so...
0: He, he really <laughs> likes tennis. I mean, there was some story about him like he's coaching quote-unquote this, like, junior player who lives in Las Vegas. I hope she, I think she's getting other coaching, too. Just, if nothing else, I think he travels a lot. But he plays some decent tennis apparently. I was talking to someone who's, like, hit with him. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And I understand that he's sort of, you know, people see him, like, Oh, this guy's annoying, and he is annoying, in his, in his own way. But I mean, it's money and attention for tennis, and it is good for the sport, pretty much not arguably. I mean, you can't stay in this sort of country club model, and if it is a way of sort of world team tennisifying like a normal tournament, I think that can only be a good thing when it comes to the like like I said, like minor league level.
1: If Lil Wayne had a tournament,
0: that oh, there we go. There's a, there's a challenger in the Bronx, it seems like, to be begging for this.
1: Lil Wayne, Lil Wayne could do it.
0: Yeah. We should, we should have our people call his people.
1: Exactly. Like, I mean, he's, like, actually super conversant about tennis and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, again, it's it's awesome because it's, like, you know, here's a hip-hop guy who, like, loves tennis. Like, that's huge for tennis. Like, it's one thing when it's Jay-Z and Beyonce in, like, the box. It's quite another thing when it's Lil Wayne
0: have have anna wintour run a tournament Ooh! i mean th- that would be someone to be pretty cool right to do not like cool on, on like the red foo, you know little wayne sense but somebody who like could do the opposite sort of like you know ultimate like garden party type tennis tournament where it was like people in all white you know wearing designer stuff i like it yeah the vogue open
1: the vogue open She'd probably just like buy out like all the tickets so she can sit in there by herself with no people, but
0: yes. <laughs> I'm okay with that. As long as there's video of it. I'm cool. <laughs> I don't need people in the stands. Good. Yeah, so that'd be good. Just have more people sort of like Larry Allison sort of bought the tournament and like makes it into it's like its own playground or something. And that's like a big tournament in anyway. Wells. But have somebody do that on a smaller level. Have somebody like be like, I have this mansion. I have two courts in my backyard. I'm holding a tournament. You know. Entry list over there. I told. You. And, I, and it will be my rules.
1: Yes. Oh, and another thing on the red food thing. Mm-hmm. Let's give him some props. The dude's a WTA fan.
0: He is. He watched only women's tennis. I think.
1: Not like hanging out in like everybody's box, like and, and like watching like ATP. Like he's a straight up like he likes women's tennis. Like and as a women's tennis fan. Like I respect that. Like on to, was...
0: le- to the level where I thought that like he must be there on some sort of like official WTA capacity because he was at a lot of WTA stuff, yeah. and yeah. no ATP. And I asked Kevin Fisher, who works for the WTA, about it. He's like, no, he's just here, <laughs> and he really likes it. And you know, he's just hanging out. And WTA players are happy to have him there.
1: Good stuff. So, yeah,
0: he apparently uh, yeah, he was with Azarenka a lot, a lot. He shared a press conference with her, which I thought was a little weird. <laughs> so I, got a, I got a transcript, and it had, like, Redfoo colon, and Redfoo's answer. I was like, wait, well, I, 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 I don't know. But, so, yeah. But that's good for good for tennis, I think, overall. He would be a really, you know, actually, speaking of those two, World Team Tennis should get him to try to be a manager. Because I feel like now that LMFAO broke up, he's doing nothing with his life. That's true. So, he could do that. Like, be somebody who'd be, like, a sideline guy, the way Murphy Jensen does. Just, you know, just pump up the crowd. It'd be good. They should get a Vegas team and have Red Foo, like, manage it.
1: They should have a Vegas team. They should. I mean, they don't have a Vegas team now that you mention it.
0: Yeah. So That's a good idea. So people should, you know, listen to us because we got, we got ideas, folks.
1: I'm just saying.
0: I'm just saying. Uh, next question from TJC05. Uh, it says, new fan of tennis since 2009. Trying to find good older matches and players to watch on Internet or DVD. Any recommendations I should keep an eye on? Courtney?
1: Yes. Um, if you're talking women's tennis, you should probably fire up the 2007 year-end championship final between Maria Sharapova and Justine Henin.
0: That was a good match. In Madrid when it was there.
1: Yeah, in Madrid. That was a phenomenal match. Uh, and it's one that I think, regardless of, like, you know, because the WTA fandom is can be a bit. There are factions, and those factions. Oh yeah,
0: sure. Were, yeah. You know, like whatever. I mean, those are two. Those are two divisive players, Henin and Sharapova.
1: but I think and players that like not just like you were. It's not a situation where you were either a Hennin fan or a Henin fan. You could hate all of them. <laughs>
0: That's true.
1: Like, I think everybody agrees. Like that was just a tremendous tennis match. Um, yeah. and a really good kind of place to. I guess start to just kind of show like you know what what the women's game can be. Um, and it's,
0: it's too bad that rivalry kind of didn't develop a little more because they played some pretty decent matches. They had a pretty decent U.S. Open final. Mm-hmm. They had that match. They had one match I remember, which preceded, and in its first retirement, yeah, um, first. that was at the Australian Open where Sharapova just like crushed her. Oh, it yeah. was really high quality.
1: The Yuri throat slash.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was like six four six love in the quarters. Um, and Sherpa won that tournament. And yeah, and because uh, they both sort of played Serena a lot, but I feel like their matches against each other didn't get quite the same. There weren't as many big occasion ones. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's an interesting matchup because there's such a huge size difference, if nothing else.
1: So I think matches were actually as much as I kind of. She was never my favorite player to watch, but at the same time. I did enjoy watching her simply because you couldn't help but respect what she was able to do physically in terms of standing up, you know, she, you know, being a little, the, the, the small in stature woman that she was, but to be able to,
0: yeah. For all the, for all the poetry that gets poured out about David Ferrer, yeah. being like a little guy, like, and was like the dominant number one player yep, who for a while, like owned Serena, yep, like Serena, like 2007 Serena was just like lost to her in, I think three straight slam quarterfinals and just, like, completely in her head, and it was, you know, the point of being ridiculous, and no one's ever had Serena, like, around their finger that way.
1: I mean, it, it's kind of cool to watch, and cool to kind of, like, be reminded that that is, that happened. Like, yeah. so I would say, yeah, I would say that match. Um,
0: and in Capriati, the US Open, if you can find that one, that was a good, epic one, too. Yep. Um, other stuff, Serena, If you, I, I don't know how far back we're going, but, like, Serena also against Maria back before their rivalry became completely one-sided. Um, they had a few good matches at the uh, Wimbledon final year-end championships in 04 later that year. It was a really crazy match. And then the Australian Open semifinal in 05. Uh, those are all good. I'll try to keep them spoiler-free as much as possible. Okay. Venus-Davenport Wimbledon final in 05. That's a good match. Watch some Martina Hingis if you've never seen her. It's just so different than anything that can dominate on the tour today.
1: What was that one year-end championships match? It was Capriati. Was it Capriati Serena? No.
0: There was a Maria Serena one in 04.
1: No, I think mean, it was J. Cap was definitely one of them. Oh, I can't remember the opponent now, but it was like an it was a great match. Like it was just like ridiculous shot making I mean, I want to say it was Clysters, but
0: that yeah. that could be. That sounds plausible.
1: Because I just when I'm, when I visualize the match in my head, like it looks like a, what a Capriati-Clysters match would look like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the, the kind of second, you know, the comeback Capriati matches were great.
0: Yeah. Those should, like the, uh, Australian Open final shading, it's Hengis and O2. That's a good one. And then, uh, players in general, we can do men's after this, but players, like any, I'm trying to think of like weird players. First that comes from out, is not a woman, but it's, uh, Fabrice Santoro. If you haven't seen him, he's a lot of fun. He doesn't get talked about much anymore, but just a totally different, like, creative game. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun to watch, and you could definitely see, like, I'm sure there's some YouTube compilation of like his greatest shots or something. That would be cool. Um, other other players that come to mind for you?
1: For me, I always really liked watching (laughs) Mary Pierce hit the ball when she hit it well yeah <laughs> so i mean that was still like you know given the the timing and, and not the timing but like you know the era yeah um the power with which she, she was able to clock the ball was just always and i i personally am one who likes power players mm-hmm. so she was always somebody that i just kind of enjoyed watching hit tennis balls
0: she just hit like incredible shots out of uh out of nowhere she was like she i mean she was american and french a little bit so imagine like all those properties in tennis player like combined like, she had like the flair but also like the sort of aggressiveness of an american right. and also the sort of inconsistency of a french person in terms of I and mean, she like made i think she made grand slam five maybe i'm missing something in here but she won a grand slam in 95 and then in 2000 and then she made two finals in 2005 so it was, like, very equally spaced out. Mm-hmm. Unpredictable, whatever. She's a good one. Um, men's-wise matches, I mean, you said you started in 09 TJC, so there's a bunch of, like, Federer and Adal matches, if that's your cup of tea before that. Wimbledon 08 final. They played a really good Rome final that went five sets back when Masters finals were best of five. Mm-hmm. Like, Federer, Safin at Australia was a good match. Their are 05 semi.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that, like, the for the men. The player that like, kind of initially jumps out to me is Safin for yeah. different reasons but let's keep this technical uh-huh. but no I mean like watching that Safin backhand is still like kind of one of the more like kind of jaw-dropping shots like just the way that he hit it and how just effortless it looked and easy and natural and, um, and so I, I, I'd I never mind going back to, to watch some of his old matches
0: and just I mean you can go just you you should have a basic sense of, like, what the various people from errors are. I mean, you can go back and watch, like, a some sort of peak to Sampras-Agassi match to see how different tennis was back then. Or just see, like, any Sampras match, really, to see, like, how much quicker points were and conditions were. Mm-hmm. And how it's so different than, like, the baseline, more of attrition that rules now. Like, the points used to be so fast. Matches were so fast back then. Mm-hmm. And, and then you can go even further back to watch, you know, Borg McEnroe or something. That's like a completely different sport or Everett Navajilova. Yep. and just be like, Oh, Chris Everett was, you know, like a power baseliner for her day. And like she hit the ball, like, you know, I don't know, like 50 miles per hour.
1: On ESPN, she's ready to grab a racket and go down there and teach these kids how to hit a ball. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, I mean, it's a good exercise and it's one that I've, I've had to engage in a number of times just because of, um, some of the posts that I have to write for Sports Illustrated, but where, you know, you kind of are going into Google and taking a player's name and like being like best Amelie Moresmo matches and obviously yeah. come up with aren't like the definitive like you have to from there do your research and, you know, your own opinion. But, uh, it's helpful. I mean, there's definitely, you know, there are definitely tennis eras that I kind of completely missed. That, you know, I, I was busy with school or, like, whatever. Life got in the way. And, life
0: gets in the way sometimes, yeah.
1: You know, you know YouTube is, is really great for that. Just to be able to go back and, you know, not just... And I will say this. Not just to watch the, the, um, the matches or the highlights. But go to, like, your favorite, like, sports, uh, you know, website or something. And just do a search within that site for that match and see what, like, was written about that match. Like, immediately afterwards. And, uh, I mean, shameless plug, like, doing that on SI is actually quite, is really great just because Sports Illustrated generally tends, at least back in the day, tended more towards long-form articles as opposed to, like, AP wire pieces. And so it's quite, I mean, I think I remember reading, like, a bunch of just, like, post-final, like, post-US Open final match write-ups. Yeah. Um, different matches and they were so like really really interesting like really gave you a flavor of how you know not just of the match but how the players were perceived at the time and you know kind of just little little things that you just really don't capture uh unless you were there i yeah. guess
0: yeah, totally and i mean you can go on youtube can do some of that to a degree too if you watch like non-match stuff like profile some people i remember seeing a profile on there recently of Monica Sellers, like right shortly after the stabbing, like her coming back or something. I don't remember exactly where it was, all these people were talking about like very openly in the, in this piece, like how annoying they thought she was before she got stabbed. Like, yeah, they were just like openly bashing her. Like, yeah, she was really annoying. We thought she was being really dramatic about being stabbed. It was like, Whoa, she got, and it's never anything you hear anymore now. Right. But you know, that's, that was the opinion at the time for some people. And, uh, that's- yeah, and you can go back on, speaking of SI, they have some good stuff where you can look up, like, within the internet era. So let's say, like, 2000 French Open, just Google that, and you'll have, like, their old hub from that tournament will come up with, like, all the photos and, like, articles from that time. Mm-hmm. Or you can go read John Wurthheim's mailbags dating back, like, a decade. Those are mm-hmm. all still archived somewhere on there. If so you want to see, like, what the tab is more, like, opinions historically. So, yeah
1: nowadays with like wikipedia and youtube and like whatever you can get the facts really easy right like you can yeah. get the raw data but to really be able to go back and and know kind of what, what how that person was thought of at the time the evolution of kind of the thinking about that player or the evolution of their game i mean kind of reading a lot of the stuff that's been written by some of, you know, the, the tennis reporters that, that we still, you know, really respect and admire today. It's like 20, 25, 30 years. I mean, go back, you know, into their own search with their name, you know, like what did Neil Harmon say about this? Or what did Matt Cronin say about this or Peter Bodo or Steve Tigner or, you know, Doug Robson, whoever. And, um, you know, it's 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 illuminating. You don't always agree, but it's illuminating to know that these are the, you know, kind of preeminent tennis minds, you know, what, what they thought.
0: Yeah, and it's good to know, sir, from the writing perspective that people, and that doesn't happen that much. I mean, we do write on sort of the news cycle, which has the word new in it, but people can go back and read things you wrote, you know. Like, on 40 Deuce, back when you wrote there, you can. I was reading things, Some you've linked to something I got, like, lost in your archives reading about you writing about, like, Ivanovich during her, like, wait before she won the the slam. Mm-hmm. And just, like, you know, yeah, those things happened. That was a moment. Not everything is all... You know, it's a good way to live the past. And there's also some books which are good for this. Um, One that I really like by John Feinstein. It's called Hard Courts. It was, like, following the year 1990 in tennis. And he got like a lot of really good access and cool stuff about that. And, um, so it's like Agassi, before he was a beloved figure by a lot. I mean, Feinstein really, really did not like Agassi whatsoever. It was pretty clear. Um, you know, Nava ending, ending. Uh, Jennifer Capriati starting out as a 13-year-old. So it's kind of a cool window on that. Uh, McEnroe fading and Sampras winning his first slam that year. And then in 2000, there was Venus Envy by John Wertheim. It's a good women's tennis book from that era, which a lot of people consider, like, the golden age of recent women's tennis. So, yeah. Those are – those are that's probably the longer answer than you needed. Yeah. Something about DVDs in the question. Um, there are places to order those. But more and more stuff is on YouTube now, like full matches. So maybe if that's enough for you, then you don't need that. But we'll see. YouTube is great is basically my answer. For sure. Okay. Your next question? Sure. Um, next question from Tyler Green DC. Hello, Tyler. Uh, question is, why has Ryan Harrison's development stalled? Damn it, it sucks, damn it. Which I think is a Harrison emulation. Or is he just 20 on a tour of adults? What do you think, Courtney, about Ryan Harrison?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think Tyler answered his own question, and I'm, I'm sure he did it intentionally, but um. You know, I haven't really written about Ryan Harrison for a long time. Um, not a long time, but a few months, you know, um, which is kind of, I think, maybe surprising because he is kind of, you know, what everybody deems to be the future of American tennis and um, stuff. I mean, part of it is because he hasn't really provided us any results.
0: None. None. Right. He, of, doesn't, he doesn't have a top 10 win. Yeah.
1: It's,
0: it's hard is. to find something really to latch on to say, like, Ryan Harrison has arrived. I mean, when he was really young at the U.S. Open a couple, two years ago, I think now, maybe three even, and he beat Lubitsch in the first round and a tough loss to Stakowski, that was like, okay, that's where this guy's name emerges. But there's been no real, like, big one next step win. Yep. There's been, like, some verge of top 20 wins. He beat, like, Troitsky at the Indian Wells, but that's that's not a marquee win by any stretch. I can't think of anything else that comes to mind in terms of what his actual wins are. Nope. He's gotten some bad draws.
1: He has. He's gotten, he's a...
0: gotten some really rough draws. Uh... Lost at Murray at Australian Open, Djokovic at Wimbledon, and Del Potro at US Open. I mean, those are all people who could have played in like the quarterfinals if he made it there. But, I mean, at some point, you do... Because there was so much talk, and a lot of it from him. I mean, he clearly set the bar very high for himself. Last year, he was talking about wanting to say someone asked him what his goals were in 2010. Sorry, in 2011, somebody asked him what his goals for 2012 were, and he said, "Well, if I said that, you know, I want to win a Grand Slam in 2012, that might sound arrogant or something. But if I said that I wanted to just be top 20 or something, I might sound like I was setting the bar too low." It's like, well, he didn't do either of those. He's still outside the top 50, I think. So, it's just I don't
1: know with Harrison. What? the upside is in, yeah. in other words, you know, I mean, good tennis player. Absolutely. And, you know, is he going to have a career in tennis? No doubt about it. Is he going to be a relative, a, a relevant figure on the tour? Hard to say,
0: you know, yeah, because, because I think his game as it is now has, I mean, his brain or his fight or whatever, you were like building a model young tennis player. You can put that like you know some sort of Frankenstein person, but the whole thing there are a lot of weaknesses or lack of weapons. I think is maybe more to the point.
1: No, there are technical there are technical flaws, you know, and just technical and tactical. And um, you know, whenever I see Ryan nowadays, all I can think is Moneyball. I think I've had I've talked to you about this before where. Mm -hmm. I just kind of get the sense that he's a guy who walks the walk and talks the talk. And he just has that kind of like cut of a future tennis star, like the the way he carries himself and like whatever. But when you actually stop and you look at the numbers and you watch him play, you're like, where, where, other than the fact that he calls you sir or ma'am, when he answers your question or he's articulate and has a super deep voice and has matured physically, early i think like you know he's a pretty
0: like strong guy for, for 20 years old he is he is
1: other than those things what exactly are we pointing to so it's
0: just f- inter- it's interesting you talk about the way he talks in that because i think I've, I've talked i was at uh miami this year and he had a first round win and i didn't go to his press conference but like a bunch of the other people there especially people who are working for like miami herald and local stuff who really probably didn't know who he was that well and they came back from this, like, so impressed with him. Like, wow, he says all the right things. He really seems like he has a good head on his shoulders, you know. His kids go in places, etc. And I do think that he sort of, yeah, talks. The talk is ahead of, I mean, he just is very impressive sort of salesman of himself, impressed.
1: It, it reminds me of, I mean, because every time I see him, and precisely what you just said, Ben, it just brings me back to, like, that scene in Moneyball where they're all the scouts, the old school sec- scouts are sitting there trying to convince Billy Bean to you know about some player and Billy Bean's like I'm looking at his numbers and his numbers aren't telling me what you're telling me and all of the stuff that they're citing is really amorphous you know gut feel scout type you know uh, methodology mm-hmm. yeah you know he's 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 just he's got a good head on his shoulders or you know oh he just he just has that walk he has that X factor that star that fire, that fire you know and it's like yeah and he strikes out like you know four times a game. So what are you telling me here? And I just, sometimes when I see Harrison, that's what I see. And that's not to say that he doesn't have promise. He absolutely does. But, you know, 2012 hasn't really been the year for him to, to to kind of make any headway. He kind of stalled.
0: It's been a lost year for him.
1: Yeah. A little bit. And so, you know, I don't think that it's like panic or anything like that, but you know,
0: but I do think that um, he is what, I think there's, he's the second youngest player in the top hundred still. I mean, that was the thing with Donald Young, too, before Donald Young really hit, you know, starts skidding out this year. so Even still, he was still super, super young. Donald Young was still the youngest person in the top 100, like, as of last year, for a while, I think. I don't remember exactly when Tomic arrived, but anyway. He's still really, really young, and uh, he is up against older players, but the thing is, does he have the weapons to really make it look like he's going guarantee to make that climb? I don't know. ATP is tough with that. And uh, he his game just is not attacking enough a lot of times. He's sort of uh, I don't know. Maybe you can compare it a little bit to Wozniacki, who was another young climber on WTA who moved up really fast when she was eighteen, nineteen, twenty.
1: See, I kind of see him as a little bit more of a like. If I were to if I were to model his career, what he could be, I see him as a bit of a like, Ferrer esque. Okay. In a way, although, you know, he's got a bigger serve, but his tools are just not as reliable. So in other words, like, tactically, he can use what he has to kind of open up the court and, and get people on move and to use his legs and his lungs. Yeah. But, you know, his his shots do break down more than David's do. Now we're talking about it. We're comparing a 20 year old kid to like
0: the top five veteran. Yeah. yeah,
1: top five veteran. who's like, what, 30 now, 29, 30, 30. Yeah. Yeah, so that's totally unfair, but you know that consistency can be, you know, nailed down. But yeah, I don't know, maybe he's erotic without a serve too. Yeah,
0: that's... This, I've, I've said that before exactly. Like he does, he's very good friends with Andy Roddick. He's living in Austin, if not in his house, like near his house, and they practice together a lot, even still after Roddick's retired. Um, and he has this sort of grinding mentality, like there's valor and working really hard to win the point compared to, you know, taking the shortest road there. Right. But he doesn't have the serve that Roddick had. So, might not be the best model for him to model himself after in terms of... So not, I'm not saying by any stretch that Andy Roddick was a failure or anything. I'm just saying that for breaking onto the scene, you might need a little bit more pop than that. Especially... I mean, if... Even against, like, he I saw him play Tomich at a... Cincinnati this year, and he just was playing defense almost all the time. Maybe, or really trying to work a rally before going for anything. And just, I don't know. It's not the sort of tennis that America's used to producing. When you look at, like, San Quarry or whoever else is sort of more as contemporary now. Or Jack Sock, even. Jack Sock, I think a lot of people at the U.S. Open this year were getting ready to anoint Jack Sock the new next thing, sort of bypassing Ryan Harrison. So hopefully Ryan can... Keep himself in the conversation longer than that because that would be a quick stay. Yeah. If that's all there is,
1: I think that Harrison will be a, a solid, you know, you know, a solid guy. But, um, yeah,
0: solid like who? Like solid like top, top like thirty.
1: Sadly, but not,
0: but not top twenty.
1: The name, yeah, top thirty. I mean, the name that keeps popping into my mind is Choisky
0: Yeah,
1: like kind of that guy.
0: <laughs> you that's, know, that's not that's not the end of the world.
1: No, it's not. It's a perfectly fine career. It's good. You're good for like a few like pretty good upsets, good sized upsets. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just don't. I don't. I don't see right now. I don't see top twenty, but like consistently.
0: Yeah. But, you know, we'll but, see. He's but, still very young, so a lot of chapters left to write for Ryan. So, uh, let's do one last question. This was from Rosso Neri. Um, He says, not in Mary Boffkill, sorry Courtney Mm -hmm. But in hypothetical world of 100 greatest player lists Like Tennis Channel did Where would Muzz, aka Andy Murray, be now? Now he is the slam win, gold medal um, Multiple other titles, slam finals Air he's in, etc. Is he top 50, top 20, not even top 100? Discuss
1: I would say he's definitely top 100 Oh yeah I would say he's not even close to top fifty. Oh, interesting. Um, so I think he's somewhere in because if we're gonna use it, <clears throat> and the reason I say that is because I gauge it a little bit whether I agree with their list or not, the Tennis Channel top one hundred list. I think Tennis Channel had like Andy Roddick like in the like the low eighties to nineties,
2: mm-hmm.
1: pretty sure. And which I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that's kind of like. Crazy low, but then when you actually broke down, you know, one slam, uh, you know. Yeah,
0: I remember, I didn't see that show, actually. I remember hearing about, or seeing the list in print form, and they were very, very big emphasis on slams. Right. It's the be-all and end-all. Right. Like, and I think the one that really jumped out at me is, um, Andy Roddick was somewhere, like, in the 80s or 90s, like you said, and um, the, uh, what's it, what's, Fetlana uh, Kuznetsova on the merit of having two slams, was like 15 people ahead of him. Yeah. And just in terms of like their contributions to tennis or their sort of place in the pantheon of tennis, I don't think anybody, and we say this is WTA, you know, supporters, nobody puts Kuznetsova in the same conversation as Roddick. Yeah. I mean, Roddick was a solid top tenor for close to a decade and Kuznetsova, uh, you know, God knows what she's going to do. And, day day. and the two slams she won, Mm. Or like with a draw, completely broke down. She beat three and at the French, but otherwise she just had bad finals, bad semis. Um, yeah. Although Roddick didn't have the hardest road to the US Open title when he got it, but it's a different point.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't say that 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 Murray would be top fifty if the, if the, if it were to you know if he were to quit tennis today, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that'd be pretty tough. I think he'd be a Hall of Famer. You know, but again, the, the Hall of Fame criteria has really dropped off.
0: It's it, it's really inconsistent and you know, kind if of it, political. If, if, yeah, if you,
1: if you have like a slam, you're going to get into the Tennis Hall of Fame, which is not... Maybe.
0: No, not all. I think they're changing that a little bit now, because I think Kefelnikov, who has won maybe even two, didn't get through on the last vote.
1: Kafelnikov has been hosed, I think, in the last, like, I think two votes.
0: Yeah, and uh, Miskina also is looking like she's not going to get in, which she shouldn't. Because she only ever made one Slam semi in her career, mm-hmm. she just happened to win that Slam. Because um, that's of a we'll see when that happens. I mean, she's had a few years left. Obviously, she's still actually really young. But um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Slam Hall of Fame is weird. I think that uh, Roddick will get in for sure. I think Murray. And this reminds me of something a little bit of something that uh, our one of our favorite people to watch on TV is not a player. Uh, Peter Wozniaki. Said to me in Perth when I was doing a story on him and Caroline and Ricardo Sanchez, who was a new coach then. Um, he started talking about the slam thing and he said that uh, if Caroline wins one slam, then she is a legend, <laughs> <laughs> which is a tremendous line. I think he probably said Carolina in his own way. But uh, um, yeah, which is, you know, with Andy Murray, it is true. I mean, the missing piece slam is there, the gold medal came at the same time. The rest of his base is really strong. I mean, before he did that, he didn't do the typical order. But the guy, kid has something like what, like seven Masters titles? What? Um, three other Slam finals. I mean, he's on par with Roddick already, I think. Mhm. So, yeah. So he, I think he's an open era. You know, maybe verge top fifty, but I have to see the whole list really. Ballpark his number accurately.
1: Let me read off some of the names on the Tennis Channel list. Okay give you some to kind of orient you. And we can
0: po- we'll post this on our Facebook page too. We'll
1: get some, some uh, input as well. But uh, like Michael Chang is number 100.
0: Okay.
1: Andy Roddick is 90,
0: 94. Oh, so low.
1: Okay. Amelie Maresmo is 88. Okay. Uh, Yannick Noah, 85.
0: Mm. See, I don't know if I like Noah being a heterotic. I know.
1: Well, but uh, Noah,
0: I think it's only that high because there just no other French people that did stuff.
1: Well, that's possibly true. It's possibly true. Uh, number 80 is Marat Sapin.
0: Okay. Um, Where's Kuznetsova? She's in there, right?
1: Kuz is 92. So she's only two ahead erotic.
0: Okay, but still, being ahead erotic.
1: Sheriff is number 71, and this was done before she completed the
0: career slam. Okay.
1: Rafter is number 70.
0: Okay, so ooh, I don't know how Rafter's ahead of Sharapova at any point, but um, even without the Queer Slam, um, but I will say, so uh, Murray, and this is so weird, like comparing men and women, it's not apples to oranges whatsoever, or even eras. So I mean, this is all just barroom debate, which obviously we like because we're people who yammer on about tennis endlessly here, so it's good for us. Murray's definitely not ahead of Sharapova.
1: See, there you go, because Leighton is 63.
0: <laughs> they just hose Sharapova then, basically.
1: I remember thinking Sharapova was low, especially if you consider just kind of her contribution to the sport as well, which is yeah. kind of really elevating the whole glamour thing, but, um, and just what she's done in, in keeping women's tennis in the spotlight. But, uh, but yeah, 71 arguable. I mean, they put her behind, for example, Hanum Mandlikova, who was a good tennis player.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Sherp- I think, yeah. Sharapova, I think would be, Three slams is a lot. Career now. I'm sure it goes up a lot with the career. The career is a big, big resume point.
1: She has to, I would think, leapfrog Jennifer Capriotti, who's at fifty seven.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. I would think so. Although Capriotti gets points for, you know, doing the uh the whole team the Prodigy at thirteen thing.
1: Cleist at number forty
0: five. Mm, no, Cheropov is ahead of Clysters. Davenport at forty three. See, okay. <laughs> she's ahead of all those people, but um da- Davenport yeah, this would be a good thing to talk about more at length. Some, we should have done it like when it first came out. Would have been a good show. Yeah, Cause it was could. this year, right?
1: Yeah, we could do it during the off season.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Okay. we right. Uh, we'll we'll do it some some way to make it easier to follow than this. Um, maybe we can do our own list or something. Also an option. But yeah. So we should. I think we should shut it down there. Okay. Nice length to this show. Thank you all for the questions, and for listening. And we will hear. We'll talk to you about Istanbul or maybe from Istanbul, or something, soon. Yeah. And...
1: Yeah. I housekeeping before we sign off? Yes. So, as Ben mentioned, we do... No Challenges Remaining does have a Facebook page now. Um, and it's probably the best way to keep up to date with us. Uh, we'll do polls. We'll do a few other things. But also, just whenever a new episode is posted, um, that's going to be probably the most reliable way to find out, because we're still trying to figure out some issues with our RSS feed. So um, you can subscribe to the new RSS feed. Oh, wait, sorry. Let me go backwards. (laughs) You can go to the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. And then you can subscribe to our new RSS feed, which is um, Crap. Sorry, I should have checked this. We'll go to
0: Facebook and we'll have it on there, basically.
1: Yeah.
0: Facebook will be the key, the door to open all of your dreams come true or something.
1: Yep. So that's it. Okay.
0: So the house has been kept, and we will see you all next time. Bye bye.
2: Yeah.